1: It is the Bama Online podcast. Travis Ryer, senior analyst for BOL, joined by team reporter Charlie Potter. Does an outstanding job covering the Alabama Crimson Tide for us there at BamaOnline.com. It is the afternoon of Monday, March the 15th, which means we have our NCAA tournament brackets right in front of us. We're ready to talk some Alabama men's basketball, and by the way, After we're done with this podcast later on Monday evening, the expectation is that the Alabama women's basketball team will hear its name called for the 2021 women's NCAA tournament. So a double dip of Crimson Tide basketball where NCAA big dance action is concerned. With that, Charlie, I bring you on here and what a weekend, what a stretch here over this last three months for this Alabama men's basketball team culminates not only with a regular season championship in the southeastern Conference but the the very rare double dip well by Alabama standards anyway something you haven't seen this program accomplish very much at all
2: yeah I mean you know to win the regular season is an accomplishment but the the tournament I mean that's where you have the confetti rain down you see the guys with tears in their eyes it's a it's a hell of a a hell of a way to to end the regular season, even though I guess the, the SEC tournament is stepping into the postseason. But um, it was a, it was a tough go for Alabama, though they faced you know a couple of NCAA tournament teams in Tennessee and LSU, and that LSU game, man, that final stretch, I mean, that felt like a tournament game, just the way that the teams were exchanging blows, and um, Alabama was able to hang on, though. Um, you know, Nail finished there at the end, and to win its first SEC tournament title since 1991, seventh overall, and, you know, it, it didn't need any help, but, you know, also, you know, punched that ticket to the NCAA tournament. So the Sunday was a... Um, a day, it was, it was good to see those guys having covered them for the past four years. Guys like Herb and and, and John Petty and Alex Reese, just the way that they celebrated. But um, you know, it's a for them you know they're looking at it as the the job's not finished this isn't the only goal they want to achieve and the same could be said for entering this sec tournament whenever they were just regular season champs is that wasn't enough for them they wanted to win the whole thing and they're able to do that and like you said yeah it's a it's a rare accomplishment i think they're the first team since kentucky uh, to do that since 2017 and you know it's a. Uh, it's a team now that's going to you know, try to get healthy and, and head into to March and try to make some noise in the big dance.
1: Initial reaction to Alabama's draw later on Sunday evening with that two seed in the east region. I guess that's East Indianapolis is how they're doing it. South Indianapolis, North <laughs> Indianapolis. Um, it's all happening right there in the state of Indiana. In, in all seriousness, you, your initial thoughts when you saw Alabama's draw, its seed, uh, was it about what you expected? Um, do you think they they got a, a a favorable draw, a good draw, or you know, is it, are, are you more of the mindset look? You, you don't really know until you throw the ball in the air,
2: right? I mean, to an extent on that last part, but um, I think a lot of people kind of felt that it was going to be Iona, and you know they're going to be going to go up against a, a team coached by Rick Patino and everybody knows his credentials, and um, you know he and Nato's don't have a, a relationship, but. You know, Nate was you know very quick to show his respect for you know, what Coach Patino has done in his career, and you know, um, Iowa hasn't played a ton of games. I think they're twelve and, and five. They won the the MAC uh, championship game on Saturday, but um, you know they have enough film on them to be able to uh, to to learn pretty quickly. It's it's a it's a matchup though that two fifteen uh, seed matchup. It's one that we've seen upsets happen before, but I think Alabama you know got a got a favorable. Um, draw there i mean they're gonna have a, a tough one if they get past iowa and the the winner of that uconn and maryland game and uh, a matchup regardless of the outcome that'll have a lot of intrigue because you have galen smith the former center from alabama um you know on the maryland side of things and of course nato's ties to the hurley family uh, him being the head coach at uconn so um I, I don't think it's just the the worst draw that that midwest region when you saw it come out uh, was was pretty uh nasty looking but you know, to, to be able to face a team that um you know is going to have some notoriety it's not going to be a situation where you're going to go in and everyone's just going to be hyping up Alabama there's at least a, a narrative or uh, some some storylines with Rick Pitino that'll draw some of the attention away from Alabama but um you know it's it's a situation where they have a favorable start but like you said you just you never know what's going to happen it's it's called March madness for a reason and We'll see how things play out Saturday.
1: Yeah, Rick Patino, man, just keeps hanging in there. And it's going to be interesting to watch. As we saw earlier in the day, even his own son, I believe, was dismissed at the University of Minnesota. Richard and in, uh, Indiana made a change, and you get this carousel going. Uh, Patino, in one year at Iona, has the Gales in the NCAA tournament. They were the ninth seed. In the Metro Atlantic Athletic Conference Championship Tournament, and went through four games to win that championship and punch that automatic bid to the NCA tournament. Rick Pitino, whatever you think of the guy, uh, wherever he's been, this has sort of been the the culmination of his time as uh, a place in the big dance, and so interesting storylines to get things going also the venue man awesome get to play at hinkle field house one of the more historic gyms in all of the sport it's been featured in movies like hoosiers so uh that'll be an interesting part of it too i i, I think a gym like that i know we're getting deep when we start doing this when you start talking sight lines right we start talking peripheral vision um <laughs> for a team that likes to shoot the three though it, 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 you'd rather be there than Lucas Oil Stadium in the dome. Um, should be a good place to shoot the basketball for this Alabama team. And we talk about that and get into some ingredients for this team to make a run, perhaps surely to the final four. Have you Have you seen enough from this team and you know let's let's talk about some of those ingredients. Obviously, uh, you, you've got to have a toughness about you. And I think we saw that most recently, just over the weekend, Saturday and Sunday, Uh, Alabama had to do a lot of different things outside of its comfort zone to get those wins over Tennessee and LSU. They were able to do it. Um, You got to have guards. We all know that. And uh, Javon Quinterly playing at a high level like he is. uh, John Petty wasn't especially great on Sunday, but you certainly know at any given time he's capable of putting seven, eight, nine threes on an opponent. Herb qualifies as a guard a lot of times and all the different things He's asked to do. Um, you got to have glue guys too, right? Herb's the ultimate one, but Alabama has some of those type of players emerging. I think Jawan Gary would qualify as such, um, and even a coach that's been in the NCAA tournament. You know, I think there's sort of this perception that uh, Nate Oates sort of fell into Tuscaloosa just out of the sky, but you know, this is a guy who's been to that been to that tournament a few times himself.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I do think that it helps because, you know, NATO's Buffalo teams were, you know, fixtures in the NCAA tournament. They didn't really make any runs, but as a mid-major school, uh, for them to get there on a consistent basis says a lot. And, um, you know, I think you look at the, the ingredients of this team, I think the fact that Javon Quinterly is playing the way he is right now is big. Um, I think people have kind of circled him as a an X factor, you know, going into the postseason because you know, he's a guy that... Obviously, he missed time during the season, but he had some ups and downs. You know, he went from you know starting the season strong and being in the starting lineup to coming off the bench, and he's really embraced that role of late. I think the past eleven or twelve games, he scored in double figures. You know, he was the SEC tournament uh, MVP, and um you hit some big shots for Alabama and Nashville. So to get him playing the way he is, I think is huge. You're going into this, um, you, know, you mentioned the toughness. I think the way that Alabama was able to close out that LSU game, and to see Herb Jones, you know, out there kind of with an attitude, uh, is big for March. And you know, the defensively, Alabama's been able to, to answer the bell. I think the offense has been um, a little sporadic. I mean, they were able to score you know, 80 points, and when they get to that number, they're hard to beat. But um, you know, the shooting has has been less than what it normally is or whenever they're really rolling. Um, And I think with that, you know, you want to see John Petty kind of you know, settle down and to, to really kind of hit his stride here in, in March. You know, Jaden shackleford has been you know consistent. He's been able to, to, to get to the rim and to finish. And, you um, know, I think for, for this team, having guys like you mentioned, Jawan Gary and Keon Ellis really stepping up and, and Keon doing a good job, especially in defensive end with Josh Primo out. And you know, right now we don't really know what uh, Keon's status will be – or not Keon, but uh, Josh Primo's status will be uh, for Saturday because of that um, – knee injury but you know they're hopeful he'll play and you know, we'll get another update closer to, to Saturday's game but um, there's a lot of pieces I think trending in the right direction. If they can get John Petty to hit some big shots from from three, um, you'll get Reese to continue to hit a, a couple big shots per game then then Alabama is setting this up itself up nicely to to make a run here but um, it helps to have a proven coach. It helps to have a, uh, some seniors that are hungry to get back to the tournament and then guys around them that that want to be there for the first time. So it's setting up nicely. We'll see how it goes. March is always wild, but you have to like Alabama's chances right now.
1: Yeah, just with Herb leading the way, they're really not a team you like to see in the tournament because he's just one of those guys that it's going to take all 40 minutes in all likelihood. I mean, to to knock Alabama out, you're going to have to knock Herb Jones out. Uh, well, maybe literally and figuratively, and, uh, he just has such a will to, to take his team to the winner's circle and he's not perfect. You know, he'll turn the basketball over. He maybe makes some bad decisions sometimes trying to go one on two to the rim because he's so assertive, which you like, uh, because you've got to have that guy. But, uh, we talked about Quinterly and in game situations and how, more and more you expect him to be out there along with Keon Ellis and that's sort of the way it continues to play out you know it's not just the offensive end either and i make that mistake we we get into these topics of all right in game situation you know who 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 do you want on the ball you know who do you want with the ball in their hands with under 10 seconds to go well converse to that who do you want guarding people and that's where i think alabama is even better equipped to make a run is if they do need a stop. And they were a little bit fortunate there in the final seconds against LSU. LSU had a point blank put back, go in and out. But, you know, if you have to put somebody on the ball defensively, Herb Jones is obviously the guy Keon Ellis can guard. You know, they can guard you pretty good. And, um, you know, and you, you think about, uh, you think about who, who this team uh, might have its biggest concerns with when you look at this bracket in the East Charlie, is it Texas pretty early? Or are you even thinking that second round with UConn and Maryland, or are you thinking more along the lines of the second weekend maybe?
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't think you should overlook that UConn Maryland matchup potentially in the the second round, but you know, just looking at. Um, you know some of the projections. I mean, a lot of people are picking Alabama to make it to the Final Four. And in order to do that, they're going to have to go through teams like Texas, who's the number three seed. So that would be a matchup uh, there in the Sweet 16. Uh, you look at the Elite Eight, and uh, you know, if, if they get to that point, then you're looking at possibly a matchup with the number one seed, Michigan. And I know Michigan's dealing with some injuries, uh, but you know the, it's not uh, inconceivable to think that you know, should Alabama get past Iona and then get past that, uh, second-round game, make it out of that first weekend, uh, that they could make a run here. And you know, Alabama's only ever made it to one lead eight. That was in 2004. But um, it's a slightly favorable side of the bracket. Um, and I think, again, that, that UConn and Maryland game shouldn't be slept on, but Alabama can beat teams like uh, like a Texas. They can beat a team like Michigan. Now, you know, if you look at how the, the bracket shapes out, if, if they were to make it through that, um, you have Gonzaga likely waiting there and the Zags are of course undefeated and them the number one overall seed and I haven't seen really anybody projected them to beat them. But, um, it's a it's a manageable slate and um you know Alabama's going to need to be consistent they're going to need to stay healthy you talk about Herb Jones and his importance he's going to need to stay out of foul trouble he's been able to do that of late but you know just a, a month ago that was kind of an issue for him and he's kind of been able to brush that off and, and stay in games and that's been huge for Alabama because again you know we always talk about um you know the end of games and offensively you know who you want making a shot but you want Herb Jones on their best player you want Herb and Keon Ellis and guys like that on the floor to uh to get a stop and they've been able to do that but they have to be able to be on the floor so staying healthy staying out of foul trouble that'll be important so just really just keep up what they're doing right now and uh yeah they can make some noise in March I think tell you the emergence
1: of Jawan Gary can't be overstated right uh, what he's brought to the table, and especially with Jordan Bruner, obviously still not to the point where you would like him from a health perspective. Um, you, you said it with Alex Reese I, and and Bruner. If Bruner and or Reese are knocking down a couple of threes a game, uh, that's ideal. But if that's not happening, I think more and more you're seeing where Jawan Gary can come in and also give you some points. They might be more of the garbage variety. But you know he's going to be a physical presence in there, even at 6'6". He's going to get on the glass, and he's going to contest shots, too. So um, what a revolution, uh, revelation, excuse me, all those things. Jawan Gary has been especially here over the back half of the season.
2: Yeah, he really has, and it's good to see, too, because he's a guy that – it, we didn't get to see it all last year, and, and because of injury, not because of him having to sit out or anything, and um, I think he's become more and more comfortable. You know, he's obviously back from that shoulder issue at South Carolina, and you know he is a guy that um, he's just going to attack the glass, and he's also someone too. We've seen it a few times now uh, when Juwan Gary gets moved in transition. You know, watch out; he's a guy that's going to throw down a a monster dunk, and you know that's that's good to have because you know. Herb Jones, uh, you see a lot of those from a highlight perspective, but, um, you know, when everybody just, you know, jacking up shots from behind the three point line to have a guy that can slash an attack like that is, is big. So Juwan Gary, what he's been able to bring of late has been, uh, I think huge for Alabama because of, you can tell just watching Jordan Bruner, he's not a hundred percent healthy. I think no. what he gives you from a, an IQ standpoint, from an assist for maybe knocking down a couple of threes a game and. Um, you know, his presence in the post is, is beneficial, but to have a guy like Gary that can move, that'll get in there and battle for rebounds, um, and and win a lot of them is really big for this team.
1: Yeah. He's not going to knock down three point shots, but if Bruner and or Reese aren't giving you that on the offensive end, Gary's going to give you some things off the glass that those other two guys aren't likely to give you either hey uh by the way i checked uh, the secondary ticket market if you're an alabama fan and you're wanting to go to hinkle Fieldhouse for this matchup on saturday pack your stimmy all right <laughs> pack your stimulus because you're going to need all of it looks like tickets for that limited capacity that they're going to have up there in indianapolis hinkle holds like gosh uh 9,000 I think it is so you do 25% of that you're looking at about 2,200 seats there at the venue and so uh, uh, StubHub checked out StubHub on Monday Uh, you're starting prices up in the upper reaches of Hinkle Fieldhouse You're looking at in excess of $300 a ticket, Uh as you might expect. Yes. So I didn't mean to rain on any. I didn't (laughs) mean to make any Mondays worse, but I I may have done that there. Hey, Charlie, let's talk some football when we come back on the Bama Online Podcast. Oh, by the way, spring football. Crazy, isn't it? How we're not talking as much about football these days with Alabama basketball doing its magic. We're going to do it here on the podcast. We're going to talk wide receivers and tight ends for the Crimson Tide. A lot to figure out at those two spots. We'll do that with Charlie Potter when the Bama Online Podcast returns right after this.
2: I'm Sandra, and I'm just
1: the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn
0: Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today.
1: Back with more of the Bama Online podcast, Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com, longtime veteran of the Alabama beat, Charlie Potter, joining me on this Monday, March the 15th. And Charlie Let's get into some spring football talk, for crying out loud. It's kind of been overshadowed amazing considering the Alabama Crimson Tide coming off a national championship season and a 13-0 record, of course. We know there's always time to talk Alabama football. What I wanted to get into with you today is a couple of positions that are connected in some ways, in other ways not so much, maybe more so tight ends with the offensive line as we've seen uh, throughout the years. But we'll cover them both, and Let's start with the wide receivers because there is so much to consider there with Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddell both moving on to the National Football League and certainly Devontae's legacy as a Heisman Trophy winner uh, will live forever uh, in Alabama football lore. But let's just get into personnel and some options that you think and we think Alabama will be considering heavily once spring practice gets uh, underway here in the coming days. So We start, obviously, with John Mechie. You look at John Mechie's numbers from 2020, and uh, I think he would have led all but four uh, of the SEC teams in receiving yards in uh, 2020. So it was that kind of season for John Mechie. It was just overshadowed, of course, by Devontae's historic season. But uh, start with John Mechie, and then, you know, it seems like for three or four years now, we've been talking about figuring out the mid-section of the rotation, right? Maybe three, four, five, six. Well, this year, we're talking about two, three, four, five. We're five. We're we're right there at the top,
2: I guess. Yeah, I mean, outside of Mechie, um, and I guess you could— throw Slade Bolden into that mix too. him stepping up in, in place of Jalen Waddell last year but there's just not a lot of experience for this group and Mechie did have a, a great season I mean he ended up with you know less than half of the catches that Devontae Smith had but you know, he was uh less than 100 yards away from in a thousand yard season so that that goes to show what he was able to do uh I believe he actually had a better yards per catch average than Smitty and that says a lot because Devonte Smith was catching a lot of long touchdown passes. So, um, you know, John Metchie, of course, is going to be your number one receiver. And then, you know, Slade Bolden, he started the same amount of games that Jalen Waddell did, and you know, he was able to do some some nice things. He had 24 catches for 270 yards and a and a touchdown, and a touchdown there in the college football playoff, which was a, a big deal. But you know, Slade's a guy that, um, when they needed him last year, he was able to step up. And I think he's still going to be a, a part of the offense, even though I think there's going to be plenty of competition this spring. But after that, um, you look at the guys just that are returning, um, you know, Xavier Williams is someone we saw. You'll get more and more playing time as the season went on. Of course, you factor in the, the injury to uh, Jalen Waddell, but we saw him late in some games and he caught three passes for Alabama, uh, Javon Baker, uh, Thayer Jones-Bell and um, Treshawn Holden were the trio of true freshmen last year and we heard a lot of good things about Baker in the preseason and you know, he played in seven games had a couple of catches but you really didn't live up to that and that's not necessarily you know his fault um, when you have players like Devontae Smith and, and Jalen Waddell early on and, and John Mechie, it's tough to take those guys off the field but you know, this is an opportunity for him to maybe, um, you take that next step this year. Same goes for Bolden and, um, or Holden and, uh, Jones Bell. And then you look at, you know, Alabama has three of its four, um, receivers assigned in this 2021 cycle on campus and Christian Leary, Ja'Cory Brooks and, uh, Jai Hall. So there's a lot of, uh, guys that were highly recruited names that are familiar to Alabama fans. And, um, guys that should be in the mix it should be an interesting competition uh for playing time but a lot of different spots and I, I would also be remiss if i didn't include uh josh lanier i know he's a guy that most alabama fans probably don't know who i'm talking about but he's a fifth-year senior walk-on from here in tuscaloosa and we actually saw him getting some games last year so add him to the mix there too but a lot of inexperience outside of of mechie and and going to have a lot of opportunities for guys to to see the field maybe as starters or even in a rotational uh, basis
1: yeah to recap beyond john mechie and slade bolden at wide receiver alabama welcomes back a combined six receptions for 37 yards in career production and a couple of those for about 24 yards um, did come from Xavier Williams kind of surprisingly I would say uh, you know when you when you thought about uh, when he got those opportunities he got a pass for 12 yards against Florida in the SEC championship game I'm watching the game thinking xavier williams is out there making catches you know in the sec championship game and then he had a catch for 12 yards against ohio state in the college football playoff national championship game but absolutely beyond that one of those three newcomers from a year ago baker holden bell at least one of those has to emerge because if they don't it's likely going to be one of these or more one or more of these of uh the incoming freshmen. And Brooks and Hall, you love them because they've got that 6'3 size to go along with everything else. Christian Leary, uh, maybe more along the lines of Jojo Earl, who will be here in the summer, is that Jalen Waddle type. And a lot of things you can do with him in different spots, line them up different ways. And so much that we've seen Alabama do, right, with the the motion and, you know, how they they utilize that. That'll be an interesting thing to watch too with the change at offensive coordinator. I suspect there will be a continuation of that, but um, uh, they've given teams more so the last couple of years by Nick Saban team standards. Anyway, more eye candy pre-snap it seems like to consider. And it's been devastatingly effective. Um, What's your confidence level in John Mechie as a true number one, because you talk about some guys that, that he's coming in on the heels of, Waddle, Smith, Ruggs, Judy. They were all number
2: one types. You, you think John Mechie's ready for that? To an extent, yeah. I don't I don't know if he's going to be a guy that's going to project as a first-round draft pick. Now, of course, you have to see what happens in the fall. But um, yeah, I think that Mechie showed he has the home-run ability. Uh, he also showed one one aspect that a lot of people sleep on is – He's a tenacious blocker. You know, We saw some plays last year where uh, Devontae Smith would catch a, a swing pass and she's and 10, 15, 20 yards down the field driving his man while uh, Devontae Smith is just falling right behind him and then blowing by. So uh, I think that's a strong aspect of his game. And, um, you know, he's a guy that they needed him in big moments. He stepped up. Uh, he stepped up and filled in for, for Waddle when he went down. Of course, we saw Devontae Smith really uptick in his production, uh, Once Waddle suffered that injury at Tennessee, but you know Mechie and Bolden both stepped up to to provide um, you know, other options and targets in the passing game. So um, and he's a guy that he's been quietly productive and consistent since he's been on campus. Really, I mean, he was the MVP of the A day game as a true freshman. Of course, he didn't see much of the field, but he was that uh, number five receiver when you had Judy and Ruggs and Smith and Waddle all on the same team. I think that says a lot about what the coaching staff staff saw in him. And, you know, this offseason is really important for him to have a strong spring, to go through the summer and you just continue to, to improve and to also develop a, a voice to be a leader of that group because he is that guy now. So uh, I think John Mechie's capable of doing it. We just haven't seen it at this point. And, you know, with a new quarterback and so many new pieces on the offensive line, they're going to need him to be that pretty quickly.
1: One positive for that group, at least you bring back your position coach, right? One of the few, if not the only guy on the offensive side of the ball in Holman-Wiggins. He'll be back with those wide receivers, so that's a benefit to those guys, no doubt. A position with a new coach will be the tight ends. Jeff Banks moves on to the University of Texas. Jay Graham comes in as the new tight ends and special teams coach and you lose a veteran in miller Forestall. I came up with a pretty cool stat, I thought anyway. miller Forestall in 21 starts at Alabama was undefeated, 21-0. He's got to be the most winningest tight end in terms of win percentage to ever pass through the, the Hallett Halls over there off Bryant Drive. But no, you bring back Jaleel Billingsley, obviously you feel good about his upside. We talk about this in connection with wide receiver, and he really stepped it up once Waddle went out as well. He was in that mix, too, to kind of fill the void. Uh, but who else are we sort of looking at there? Uh, you know, Charlie, when it comes to that next tight end, because we know they like to utilize multiple tight ends, and uh, they've even gone the offensive line route in recent years, really several years, to, to help you know augment that tight end position next guy up is what we're talking about
2: here, I guess. I mean, obviously Bill Inslee will be the the top option there. I think he, you know, still needs some, some do some work as a blocker. And this offseason season is a good time to do that. But major Tennyson is a guy that, that's played some, Yeah, you know, he was a, a starter a couple of years ago and um, alongside Miller forestall. And he's a guy that had a, a catch last year, but, uh, a guy that I think could really make some noise this spring and, and in the summer and preseason camp, who was doing some nice things before the season started last year, is, is Cameron Latou, the former outside linebacker. I know we talked about in a previous podcast, we are talking about under-the-radar players. He's someone I mentioned, and you know now he has a couple of years or, of getting tied in at the college level, kind of under his belt, and has a prime opportunity now with Forstall moving on, with Carl Tucker no longer uh, in the position room, and they're going to need guys like Tennyson and Latu to step up. And if they don't, they have a couple of true freshmen and Caden Clark and, and Robbie Uds that are early enrollees. Um, you know, those are guys that could be called upon to to help out. Just because the the numbers in terms of scholarship guys there at the tight end position uh, is low, and you know, I, I think you kind of mentioned it. It'll be interesting to see what happens on the offensive line because I think Kendall Randolph is someone that could step up uh, into a starting role at guard or tackle. But if he doesn't, you know, I could still see him in that that role as that sixth offensive lineman, that pseudo tight end and uh, really being an extra blocker out there. So you know, that's something to fall back on if, if he doesn't factor into their plans uh, in the starting five on the offensive line. But tight end wise, you know, outside of Billingsley, they're going to need guys like Latu and, and Major Tennyson, guys that have been in the program for four or five years now to, to really step up and take on larger roles.
1: Yeah, they've got some guys that have been in the program. You're right. It's not that they're totally green as far as individuals understanding what the expectation is and what they need. Uh, but the two newcomers will be interesting. I know Tim Watts, you know our site publisher, uh, really high on Robbie Uts, the incoming freshman. Uh, watching Uts's tape, uh, very athletic guy, uh, good size coming in. So. You know, the opportunity is there for just about everybody at wide receiver and tight end. Well, that's going to do it for the latest edition of the Bama Online Podcast. Always appreciate Charlie Potter and his input here on the program. Thanks, Charlie. No problem, man. It's
2: always good to catch up.
1: For Charlie Potter, Travis Ryer, thanking you once again for joining us on the Bama Online Podcast. If you haven't already, how about a subscription to the podcast? Anywhere you consume podcasts, that's where you're going to find the Bama Online Podcast.